Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of The Running Effect with Dominic Schleter. I'm your host, Dominic, and today's episode is a special one. I actually recorded the podcast on August 1st, so it's been quite some time since the conversation was recorded, but through editing it uh, this past week, I was quickly reminded about how many incredible things Brandon and I discussed. Um, Yeah, my guest today is Brandon Casteller. Shortly before uh, we recorded the the conversation, he ran and completed the Tahoe 200 miler, which is one of the most famous 200 mile races in the world. Brandon's story from how he got started in the sport of running to getting into ultra marathon events to just his overall wisdom is truly incredible. And I know you guys will benefit from it if you listen to this podcast in full. Before we get into today's inspiring conversation, uh, a few quick notes. One, I would greatly appreciate it if you like, subscribe, share the show with a friend or two, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And then also today's podcast is brought to you by Gooder. Gooder makes $25 active sunglasses that don't slip, don't bounce, and are 100% polarized. If you guys have listened to the podcast in the past few weeks, you will have heard me rave about these sunglasses. They're truly incredible for running, and I could go on many different tangents about why that is the case. But today I want to focus on a new product, or at least a product that I recognized recently, and that is Gooder officially sells blue light blocking glasses. I've been a huge fan of uh, blue light glasses for a while now. Um, so I was so excited when my favorite glasses brand, sunglasses brand, released their own exclusive blue light blocking glasses. Uh, there's been a ton of studies showing that wearing these glasses can help with sleep because it blocks out blue light before bed. And what a better way than for Gooder to make incredibly stylish sunglasses at the cheap price of $25. Um, if you're not interested in blue light glasses, that's totally fine too, but I personally have found a lot of value from using mine. Um, but yeah, they also, you know, the vast majority of their glasses are pertaining to running, biking, golfing, uh, going to weddings, like I've said, I've worn them before. Uh, they really are one size fits all. They do it all. Um, but yeah, today I want to talk about their blue light blocking glasses because I didn't know they existed until I bought a pair and I was like, wow, these are so cool. Um, so check that out. You can scroll down to the link of any episode. Um, so I threw a link in the show notes and you'll also see me sporting them on social media too. If you want to support the show and pick up a pair, whether that's the blue light blocking glasses or just the normal sunglasses, Gooder is giving the Running Effect listeners free shipping on your first order. You can go to gooder.com slash the running effect to get free shipping. Gooder also offers a 30 day money back guarantee and 100% satisfaction. Find your pair today at gooder.com slash the running effect and get free shipping. Okay, without further ado, enjoy my conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Brandon Casteller. Brandon, welcome to the Running Effect podcast. How are you doing today? Doing great. So diving into your start in the sport of running, uh, before we get into talking about um, the 200 miler, um, I would love to kind of get some background on your history in the sport of running. So can you take our listeners through your start in the sport of running and in addition to that, what your first impressions of it were? Uh, I was never a big runner. I was always a soccer player, did a little track, um, didn't do cross country, might have done it if it wasn't at the same time as soccer in my high school. Um, but just thought running was kind of, I'd rather do a sport with more of a, what I thought was purpose, you know, play games for, for activity, for physical activity. Um, started getting a little bit into it in college. Uh, very, I'm a non, I don't like cars. Don't like to drive a car, not into cars. I'd rather, um, really 
ride a bike or a horse or something for transportation. So I rode a bike all through college. Um, my bike got stolen, so I started running everywhere. <laughs> that is neat. And just started enjoying it a little more and more. You know, I got past that kind of three miles, five miles, got a little bit longer and started to enjoy it a lot more. And then one day in America's Georgia, my friend got his, dumped by his girlfriend or something and ran to relieve stress. And I ran with him and he ended up going 12 miles and then getting hitching a ride. And I went 20 miles and had never run more than, you know, eight miles before that. And I just loved it. Loved the experience. Thought, man, this is cool to, to push yourself. So when you weren't a runner, you said you kind of got your like start in sport through soccer. What were your impressions of runners at the time when you weren't one? Um, my oldest brother is always, has always been an avid runner, did a marathon at 15 years old and uh, 50 milers, 100 milers, 350 milers in Alaska. Um, so I always kind of idolized him. So nothing but respect for runners, but I just felt like it was kind of an empty sport. It didn't have anything for me. And then that, that transition kind of happened over years as I became an adult and found the beauty of running just being an individual sport with very little equipment you can do it anywhere anytime and just the the meditative experience uh just just grew and grew and now i just love it to death so can you take us through your journey from doing that uh 20 miler that one time to then getting into more serious of a runner and really start to doing it more and more and then more competitively and start to transition to doing some pretty incredible events throughout the years. Yeah, still just did kind of a 5K, 10K here and there. Got a little bit into triathlon, did a couple of sprint triathlons. Um, signed up for an off-road Ironman, <laughs> which I wouldn't recommend going from a sprint triathlon to an <laughs> off-road Ironman. Uh, but just watched a special about one and, and a regular Ironman and got excited and found an off-road. Thought that was really intriguing. Um, I did that. It brought me to my knees, almost killed me, but I just loved the, the challenge of it. Um, and then it just it just grew on me gradually. I just I loved the idea of pushing farther. I'm not a sprinter. Like, I don't enjoy sprinting. I, I, I did track in middle school and kind of liked it. But I didn't like that that push that that struggle short distance struggle. I liked the kind of the long game, and um, I just uh, didn't think I would do a you know any kind of fifty mile or anything like that. But I, my oldest brother who lives in Alaska, his name is Todd. He asked me to pace him for Wasatch One Hundred in Utah and I paced him and from the first 10 steps in the race, I just fell in love with it. It was just the coolest atmosphere, fun people, huge challenge, the aid stations. And I ended up doing almost 60 miles pacing him. Of course I had a five hour break in between my legs that I, you know, the, the, the two legs that I did with him, but it just gave me the bug. I, I really, got excited about the sport and it felt doable 
after that. Mm-hmm. So what do you think makes the sport of running special? Because it sounds like it's something that you've fallen in love with over the years. And I think you come from a unique position of, I know you said you did track in middle school, but you weren't really a very serious runner. Um, you didn't do running until <laughs> your bike got stolen. So what do you think makes the sport of running special that made you want to continue to run and get into some serious ultra events throughout the years? So it's all about trail running. You know, I'll run the road because I have to sometimes, but I don't prefer it at all. I, I just, I love being in nature. I love that, that primal sense of just running through the woods and just think, you know, maybe people did this 2000 years ago on, on, on maybe some of these same trails. I just love that feeling. And it's so pure. It's just me spending time out there meditating, just being with nature and there's no equipment, there's nobody to blame, there's no coach, there's no teammates. It's just, for me, it's a, it's a meditation. So can you take us behind your first ultra marathon uh, or like 50 or 100 mile race that you did? You talked about that fun experience of pacing your brother through 60 miles of a 100 mile race. So can you take us through your journey of doing that to then maybe doing your first ultra marathon event? Yeah, so after I paced my brother, I thought maybe I could just do my own 50-miler and not, not sign up for a race, just make up my own. And I was living on the coast, the Mississippi coast, doing Katrina Hurricane Katrina recovery. And the bridges were still out. And I thought, well, I'll do, a, I'll do some kind of race to raise money for Katrina recovery. So I, I tried to do 50 miles on the beach. That was a really dumb idea. <laughs> <laughs> so... I made it 31 miles and just collapsed, crying, called my wife. She picked me up. I said, never again. <laughs> uh, about a year later, I just kind of kept warming up to the idea of maybe I just need some support. And so I signed up for the Mississippi 50, the Carl Touchstone, and that's near Hattiesburg in Laurel, Mississippi. And trained really hard. I went to the race, had a pacer. My wife was there supporting me. And just had the time of my life. Like, you know, every time I passed. Uh, um, so my whole goal was run the first marathon slow, you know, first 25 miles. And then the second 25 miles, I just gave myself permission to go as slow as I needed to as long as I make the cutoff. In other words, I, I just said, okay, you could walk the whole second 25 miles if you need to. And because I did that, I kind of went into it slow. I actually felt like running most of the second 25 miles. And that feeling of, oh my gosh, I just, I've just run 41 miles in a row was just invigorating. And, uh, you know, not an incredible time. It's like nine and a half hours, 50 miler, but just to accomplishment. And I, I kicked it in at the end and last mile, I just kicked it in and the guy who was pacing me couldn't keep up. And he's like, no, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so I left my pacer, <laughs> but that was Great experience, thought thought it was a one-time deal, but just loved it. And then, uh, you know, a every race I do, I think, well, that's the last one. You know, I just, just needed that one big one. And then six months later, I'm, I'm hooked again to, to try something new and different. So what do you think is the biggest difference between a 50-miler, a 100-miler, and or the difference between a 50-miler to a 100-miler and then even going further, a 100-miler to a 200-miler? Because... I would guarantee you almost that everyone listening to this podcast has probably never even run a 50 miler. So 
Um, most people, including myself, I'm sure, are very curious about the difference between those events and the differences between mentality of those events. So can you take our listeners between the difference between some of these ultra marathon feats? Yeah, very, very different sports, totally different animals. Okay. So 50 miler, you're going to do it in the daylight. You're going to, you're going to kind of run a lot of it. You're going to be able to push. And sometimes you're going to have to worry about nutrition, but not so much about fatigue and sleep. And you get some muscle fatigue, but Nothing about headlamps, nothing about going through the night, nothing about sleep cycle, tiredness, any of that. So 50 is just fun to me. And I think a lot more people could do a 50 mile than, than they believe. And um, if you could do a marathon, which I think most people could do a marathon, I think most people could do a 50 mile with a little bit of training, a little bit of mindset. And just the understanding that I don't have to push for 50 miles, right? I can relax and enjoy this experience, go slow. I can walk the hills. I can run when I feel like it and still make the cutoff. So I think most people could could enjoy, quote, unquote, a 50-miler, even though it's tough. Uh, 100-miler, totally different animal because you're going through the night, okay? You're going to be out there at least 24 hours, maybe 30 and you're going to have to strategize for your nutrition. You know, most of the time in a 50-miler, my nutrition stays fine. Most of the time on a 100-miler, my stomach breaks down. I start puking. Just my body revolts. I start sending blood other places. And my stomach just puts up the clothes sign. Kitchen's closed. Then you start not getting nutrition in, and then you're just history. You know, you just you don't have the calories vicious cycle so 100 is really a challenge to figure out you know staying up for 24 hours or maybe sleeping for 20 minutes or however you want to do it Um, but going through the night with headlamps still staying positive at three in the morning a lot more of a mind game a lot more uh, discipline and endurance and to accomplish a 50 is an amazing thing but when you accomplish a hundred i mean it's just it's, it's just unthinkable. I mean, you, it, it's overwhelming in a good way. But I am almost never hit a wall in a 50-miler. I almost always hit a wall, at least one big bonk in a 100-miler. Um, so 200-miler to 100. I've only done one 200, but it was so completely different than a 100-miler or 50-miler that it just it's a different sport. It's a different thing altogether way slower way more about strategy all about your sleep strategy where you're going to sleep how you're going to sleep how you're going to get to sleep how you're going to recover when you're going to eat i mean you're out there for four days (laughs) so it's more like a mountain journey experience and you're going to have to dig so deep. It's not just hit a wall and go past it. You're going to have to dig so deep that you are going to do some serious soul searching, whether that's what you want to get out of it or not, you're going to find out who you are. So you say in the document that quote, I had no business looking into two hundreds, but I looked end quote. So can you elaborate on that quote? And also like what stood out to you about the 200 mile race distance that made you want to give it a go? Because I know you had had some problems in some previous hundred milers with stomach issues or energy issues. So what made the 200 mile distance stand out to you that made you want to 
give it a go. So a couple of things during the pandemic, my running friends, a lot of races were canceled and stuff. So my running friends made different challenges. And one of them was, Hey, let's do, see who can do a hundred mile week training week, you know? And I did 142 miles in one week just to knock it out of the park. And I was tired and sore every day going into the next training day. And, and I mean, nobody, a couple guys did it with me, but not really. It was just pandemic. So I was just doing it by myself. But I was doing 20 miles a day. I did 32 miles in one day, just like in the evening, just by myself, just as a training run. <laughs> And it was just amazing. It was an amazing experience to be tired, but be able to, to kick it in, you know, to grind it out again the next day. And by the end of the week, I was just exhausted, but my muscles felt strong and it was amazing. So I thought in the back of my mind, I thought, man, if this is what a 200 is like, uh, I want some of that. Um, also, I'd heard from other people that a 200 miler is easier on your body than a hundred. And I couldn't understand it, but I read an article that said, because of sleep, because you sleep and you have a slower pace, you're going to be, it's going to be easier on your body than a hundred miler. And I was really intrigued by that to kind of be part of that experiment. And if it's true, I thought, man, maybe 200 is better for me than a hundred because I always get exhausted, fatigued, sore muscles and stomach problems, but maybe my sleep will reset. So signed up for the 200 Tahoe lottery, just saying, well, we'll leave it up to fate. And I've signed up for lotteries before for races and never get in because they're huge and got in and I was petrified. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So when was the first time you considered doing the Tahoe 200 or running 200 miles in general? Was it during that time in the pandemic when you were doing such challenges that made you think, hey, maybe I can go beyond my limits or was it another time? Uh, yeah, it was really that week. And then I had a friend, so there's destination trail puts on three kind of iconic 200 milers in the United States. Bigfoot is in Washington where I grew up. Um, and near Manson starts near Mount St. Helens, then Tahoe goes around Lake Tahoe and then Moab 240. And so those three races are pretty big deal in the 200 mile circuit. And if you sign up for all three, you don't have to go in the lottery called the triple crown so my friend had never done a 200 he signed up for all three <laughs> and i thought he was crazy but it, it planted the bug in me you know what i mean mm-hmm. it, it made me it made me think gosh if he can have the guts to do it you know maybe it's feasible for sure and yeah. then and then i started started you know if with anything start doing the research and all three races just sounded a phenomenal just the nature you know the nature experience. I love all three of those places. Um, but I, and I had been to all three, but there was something special about Tahoe. And I loved the idea of doing a loop around the lake and, um, I just couldn't let it go. And I figured of the three Tahoe is the place I've been the least, but been the most intrigued by. And so, uh, pick Tahoe. So on your document, you have listed out, and and for anyone interested in reading a more in-depth version of Brandon's experience, I will make sure to uh, put a link to his really well-written document about the whole trip in the show notes below, so you can check that out if you want to read further into his story. 
But in the very beginning, you have this listed out and you have the plan and there are a few steps underneath it. So can you take us through what that plan was and maybe some of the preparation going into an event like this? So I really think of it as more like um, a mountain excursion, like, um, you know, an, an, an Everest attempt. You know what I mean? Like there's really you know, six months to a year going into this of prepping your gear and your training and thinking through every aid station and everything that's going in your pack and what your pack is like. It's just a uh, 50 miler. You can kind of get by with a hand water bottle or a, a running vest or whatever. hundred miler, you really have to gear up and have your headlamps staged and food and stuff. But 200 is so much about the gear and, and, um, there was so much preparation went into how much water am I carrying? How much weight can I carry in my back? What are the essentials that I need to put in my backpack? And what are the essential things I need to have in my drop bags? What are the things I'm going to have my crew just carry from, from station to station? There's a lot of logistics. Where am I, and, and you almost have to have one of everything at each stop just in case because you don't know where your emergencies are going to be. Um, so just, you know, ibuprofen, Vaseline, um, snacks, um, ginger chews for stomach problems, uh, peppermint candies. Um, man, it's just a, I, I took a picture of all my gear getting ready for the race and I could hardly get it in the picture. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it That's was, incredible. There was so much, so much gear spread across the room. And I just thought this is so weird just for one event. But then I thought, you know, if you're going to go climb, you know, Kilimanjaro, uh, I don't know, let's say Everest, you're going to go climb Everest. I mean, that takes a lot of planning, right? And, and the planning is key. If you mess up and you don't have one thing in one place, it can make or break you. So going into some of your physical preparation, I'm sure uh, people are interested in this. Can you take people behind what your physical preparation looked like leading into this event? You've kind of detailed how you've done previous ultra marathons in your career before, but none uh, such as a 200 miler. So a completely new experience as you are talking about. So what did the physical preparation look like and who were maybe some people you reached out to uh, to advise you on how to properly train for such a big event like this because you had never gone through it before and never experienced uh, what it would be like. So I know you uh, reached out to some people. So can you take us through the preparation physically? Yeah, so I felt pretty comfortable preparing for 100. You know, I'd spend, you know, really all year training, but really uh, uh, six months of intensive training of really not that much mileage per week compared to other people. I'd do 40, 50 miles a week but I would keep increasing my long run. My Saturday long run would be a 20 mile, then a 25, then a 32, then a seven hour, then a run through the night, then a 50, 54 miles in training just to get ready for that hundred. And I would peak two miles, be two, two weeks before the race and then taper. 200 was very different. I was learning from the people who put on the race from other friends, I connected with this guy who had also never done a 200, um, just a great guy in, um, in Florida. We commit, connected through a mutual friend, Justin. Uh, so my friend in Florida is Justin and he had never done one either, but he was freaking out just like I was. So, so we were training with each other and calling each other sometimes twice a day going over training plans and what we were worried about. It's really kind of ironic because neither one of us had done it before. And we've both given each other advice. It's kind of hilarious. 
Um, but it really helped, like in a class when you're trading notes with somebody. Um, learned a lot from him, and uh, we did the race together, so it was great. Anyway, the key training method that I think was successful for me was um, practicing sleep. On 100 milers, most of my 100 milers, I try not to sleep, and even when I try to sleep, I can't. But maybe 45 minutes is the most I've ever slept in a 100 miler. Well, now I'm going to 200. I have to sleep. So it was practicing the sleep cycle. So the best training experience I had, hands down, for 200 was I went to my local lake that I run on the trails all the time. I set up a camp, my tent. I ran 56 miles, slow and easy, just having fun, taking pictures, jumping in the creek. And then slept for five hours and ran 47 miles the next day. And I felt amazing. Like that sleep, even that five hours of kind of rough sleep in a tent, rejuvenated me and gave me, helped me think clearly instead of hallucinating like I do on hundreds. And it gave me the encouragement to think, hey, if I sleep right, if I sleep well, it's going to pay dividends in the race. Mm -hmm. So that, that was the best training experience I could have done. Yeah, so you said, quote, 56 miles, then five hours of sleep, then 47 miles. It goes really well. The sleep reboot does its magic. I head into the race with cautious optimism, end quote. So yeah, at the end, it kind of cracks me up. You head into the race with cautious optimism, which I think are two fun word choices. What was your mindset going into the race? Um, did you think this was something that you were going to complete? Um, obviously, you had never done a 200 miler. And as you've been talking about, it is certainly a journey and uh, a, a very big trek. So mentally, how did you go into this race? Did you believe you were going to accomplish it or were you still a bit worried as to what was going to go on? Because inevitably something's going to go wrong along the way. So take us behind your mindset and how you mentally prepared for this event. So on one hand, totally petrified, right? And I would vacillate between feeling a little bit confident and then being just petrified because I'd had these 100-mile experiences where I just hit the wall so hard, and I thought, man, if that happens to me at mile 60 or 80 or 120, I could be, it could be game over, you know? Or I could twist an ankle, or, you know, there's just that unknown. Maybe the elevation hits me hard. Maybe I lose my stomach on the first day and can't get it back for, on the second day. Then it's over. You know, I can't, I can't do 140. If I had 140 miles left and I lose my stomach and can't get it back, then um, it's a game over. So that really scared me. But that experience of sleeping and then running that second, you know, almost 50 miles the next day gave me so much confidence that I, I was going into it with cautious optimism. I was thinking, okay, if I can put everything I know into this race about hundreds and about pacing myself and being patient, living in the moment, and I can take care of my body, I can sleep preemptively, then I can do this. It's doable. So I know you write about this in depth uh, in the document you wrote, um, but you got to bring your family along for this event, which I know you found very special. So can you take us behind just how special it was to not only have your family at this event, but also have their support throughout all the training and preparation leading into this event? Yeah, I don't think my wife would call it support. 
<laughs> or, or willing willing support in the training. She really doesn't like the training, and it, it kind of disrupts her lives. And I, I I try to make it as painless as possible. Um, but the fact that kind of at the last minute in our travel plans, all of a sudden it just kind of worked out for everybody to come, for my family to come along, and it just blew me away. Just that they would make the sacrifice and be there and we could turn it into a trip together. And then, you know, in the end, my, my wife and my son really just kind of made the difference for me. Just, they did everything perfect. And there's one part, one point at which I hit my lowest low and they just did everything right and got me through and I couldn't have done it without them. That's so awesome. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. One other thing you mentioned before we started recording was that you've been working with, I believe, Habitat for Humanity for over 20 years. So kind of going back into the training of things, how hard was it to balance training with work and also family life along the way? Because I know all three of those things are probably hard to intertwine with each other. I feel like uh, I have several kind of life philosophies and one of them is you can have it all. And I just feel like if you shoot high, you know, you aim high and try to seize the moment and take it all in. I know there's a breaking point, right? I know there's a law of diminishing returns where you try to do too much and you crash and burn. But I just feel like, you know, I could just be a mailman and watch Netflix at night and go to sleep and wake up. But I could also do something meaningful, have a meaningful job where I'm like framing houses during the day, working hard in the heat and busting my butt, but having fun with people and teaching people and helping people. And I can run 13 miles that morning by getting up at 4.30 in the morning and driving to my favorite lake and come home and mow the lawn and play with the kids and read a book. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot. The math doesn't work sometimes, but man, just doing the ra- doing this 200 and the the training that went into it just made me feel like you know what is possible. You know how much can we really get out of life when I could have been a slacker and not tried to do any of that. I could have never done a 50 miler to start with. I would never kind of have that vision that I can be excited and have energy for waking up early you know, not getting that much of sleep, um, but still tackling the next day. It's, it's pretty, um, I don't know what the word is, empowering. Mm-hmm. For sure. So going into kind of the Tahoe 200 race discussion and also the trip, how I personally have found out about you and how this whole interview came about, funny enough, is through a YouTuber, Ryan Trahan. I'm sure many of our listeners know who that is uh, just due to his sheer popularity. He was doing a, a penny series, I don't know what you would describe it as, where he tried to cross America starting with one penny, started in California, ended in North Carolina. Along the way, I believe, in Denver, Uh, he came across you and he did an interview with you. And it's just crazy how full circle things come. If he hadn't come across you, if he hadn't interviewed you, if he hadn't put out that video, this interview would have never taken place. I never would have um, been able to speak with you, meet you, have this conversation. So it's, it's definitely neat how things work out like that. 
But can you take our listeners behind that funny interaction of meeting Ryan in this train station and uh, doing that small, uh, short little interview with him? Yeah, so my I have a 16-year-old, and um, so, so our family trip was my wife, my 23-year-old Isaac, my 16-year-old Aiden, and my 8-year-old Everett. So my other two kids weren't there. But Aiden is the 16-year-old, and he should, he had shown me one of Ryan's videos way back when of doing some virtual reality thing in the multiverse. So we're getting on the train, and my son Aiden said, you, you look like Ryan. And he's like, I am Ryan. And he's, they just freaked out like they were meeting, you know, someone extremely famous. But I, I hardly, you know, <laughs> I've seen one video of this guy on YouTube, whatever. Um so, so both of my older kids were kind of really freaking out, kind of starstruck by him. And we just happened to be riding the same train back to the airport because we had a 14-hour layover there. Um, so we had gone to the city. Uh, and so we started talking, and I was asking him about his adventure, whatever. And then I, he said, what are you guys doing? And I started talking a little bit about my race. And, you know, sometimes as a dad, you know that you're being embarrassing and you got to kind of tone it down. <laughs> And sometimes you're, you're being a hero to your kids. So anyway, I started talking a little bit about the race to, to Ryan, and he kept asking questions. And I looked at my kids, especially Aiden, to read his face. And his face said, keep it going, Dad. <laughs> keep rolling, buddy. <laughs> so I just unloaded on Ryan, just told him all about the race. And he was like, can I interview you? And then, then my kids were freaking out even more. So it was really fun just total chance coincidence you know and i'm not a big technology guy i'm not big for youtube and all those kind of things but super fun to be a part of that and i thought well he'll edit a lot of it out right because you you film a lot of content right and mm-hmm. edit edit it down and it's about his race it's not about me it's about i mean his adventure right and so it took three days, you know, for him to post that video. So we're thinking, uh, and we watched some of his other videos, um, the, from the previous days from, from his, um, challenge. And we noticed that in the other videos, he would say hi to people, but he never really, you know, interviewed other people. So we thought, Oh, he'll edit most of it out. And then we watched it. He had most of the interview in his video (laughs) (laughs) and, so we were excited. My sons were freaking out. Dad, you, you're you're in a video with three million views, and then um, people just came out of the woodwork. Like people that I knew from three years ago were texting me, "Hey, I saw you on the video." Especially people that I know would say, "My kids saw you," you know, because their kids are following Ryan. So it, it was really a lot of fun, and I was so excited about the race that nothing could have like brought me off of the cloud nine. That I was just so pumped for the race. And that just made it even more fun. Yeah, that's such a fun story. That's so fun. And as I said before I asked that question, it's it's really crazy how God works in, in ways like that where Ryan decided to, uh, well, first off, you and Ryan meeting and then him interviewing you. And then um, actually, this is kind of a funny story that I'll share. Um, so I see you in the Ryan video and I'm like, man, this guy's running 200 miles. That is so cool. So out of just pure curiosity, not even with the podcast in mind, I looked up your name um, just to see if you had finished the race because obviously he interviewed you before the race, previous to the race. 
So I found uh, the the link to the results of the Tahoe 200. I saw you finished it. And then the thought came across my head. I was like, man, I should just interview this guy and get him on the podcast. So, and that's when I uh, uh, reached out to you. So it's, it's funny how things work out in that way. Definitely one of the the more weird ways in which I've uh, come across a guest over the past two years of having this podcast. But nonetheless, here we are, and I'm very excited to uh, have you on the show, be talking about this amazing adventure. So diving back into things, uh, Tahoe 200 race discussion. Could, what could, could I say one more, could I say one more thing about that video? Yeah, for sure. Go ahead. Could I just add one more thing. One thing about it was he caught me off guard and said, you know, what's, if you could say one thing to the world, what would you say? And, you know, we didn't prep for the interview at all. We were just talking. He just started filming. My son, you know, gave my son the camera and said, can you film? And just started talking. But it really caught me off guard. And I've done all these race write-ups. You know, I write all my epiphanies down. And he said, what's, you know, what was one thing you would share with the world if you had a, a voice or a platform? And I just said, seize the day. You can, you know, kind of the you can have it all that I was talking about. It just take advantage of the moment, just squeeze out of life. And it was fun to be on the video and it was fun that people, you know, found out about the race and talked to me later and whatever, but just the chance to be able to kind of give that message. It's kind of like, that's what running is for me. And to be able to say that and have a lot of people hear that, you know, it wasn't about being, Oh, I was on the video. Now I'm popular because I had that many views, but being on the spot, being able to say that and really feel it and mean it and to know that a lot of people heard that and maybe it sparked something in them. Maybe it's not about running for them, but just to, you know, life is precious and let's take advantage of every moment. That was really special. Yeah. Diving a little deeper into that concept, I will get into lessons learned from this race um, after we talk about the actual race itself. But while we're on the subject of seizing the day, carpe diem, um, what would be some advice to someone listening to this who maybe wants to flip around their life and to seize their day more, as you were saying, you know, life is short. We only have so many, so many years left. We never know when it's going to end. And ultimately every second we spend in life is a second that we'll never get back. So what would be your advice to someone listening who wants to maybe uh, flip their life around and uh, seize the day more than they have been? So, I think I think many people would benefit from running. They just don't realize it. And I think most people don't have never run more than three miles. And so they've run two miles or they did a 5K and it, and it hurt because they didn't train. And then they think running sucks. <laughs> and I think that's such a tragedy. So, you know, life change is not just about running, but I think whatever you want to do, just if there's one thing that I've, that, that stuck with me from doing all these races. It's just the amazement that, wow, this is possible. What else is possible? You know, like what else could I accomplish in my life? And I think if people will take those small steps and just make the change, make that small incremental change and then have a goal, I would have never done any of this if I didn't find out, Oh, that sounds like a cool, um, Ironman, off-road Ironman. Oh, that sounds like a cool 50-miler. Oh, I could go to the mountains and pace my brother. You know, it was always a goal. And so the training was never work. The training was just as much fun as the race because I had the goal in mind. So when you start 
across the starting line. What were the emotions and feelings you were feeling when you start the race? You maybe hit the button on your watch to go and you you start this amazing, adventurous 200-mile journey. What were the feelings that you felt when you started on this journey? It's hard to describe to people how much energy and enthusiasm and, and like excitement I put into these kind of things. But my friend Justin, that I was telling you about, we were together at the starting line. We both understood it because we both put so much mental energy into being there at that moment. And we both agreed with each other. If we go two miles and sprain our ankle, it's still worth it. <laughs> <laughs> to be at the starting line with these incredible athletes, it was just it, it felt like, man, we got, a, we got a spot on the space shuttle to go to the moon just by chance. And now we're actually here. And even if we, you know, get pulled, when the space shuttle blows up, we made it. Like we're here. And it's just so amazing. Um, now, granted, we didn't want to break an ankle at two <laughs> miles in. But, but we were so excited and it was so great to commiserate with him or to, to share with him that enthusiasm and our, our kind of our fears too. But we were so excited um, that the energy, 250 people that are all trying to do this and like admittedly, a lot of us are not going to make it, <laughs> but we're all pumped and um you know, the race starts straight up the mountain. We go four miles of climb. Essentially, we climb 2,000 vertical feet <laughs> in the first four miles. And so the gun goes off and you run about 100 steps and then it's just straight up. It's just straight up a ski resort mountain. But we were just so, so excited. You could have, you know, the adrenaline rush could have carried us. But my thing was I have to kind of hold back. You know what I mean? If I let the adrenaline go then I'll push and I'll run too fast in the first 30 miles and then I'll crash. So I had to kind of relax, but just soak it in. Yeah. So not only is this a 200 mile race, but you also kind of alluded to this when you were talking about how the first four miles are uphill. Uh, the event has 35,117 feet of climbing and a total of 70,234 feet of elevation change. So how did your strategy play into not only the elevation gain and the 200 miles, but other things like sleeping and nutrition? Can you take our listeners uh, behind some of the strategy as the 200 miles unfolded? So I, I've never followed my race plan like I did for this race, which is pretty amazing. Um, but I, I really, I had a good plan and I followed it both amazing things that I just can't believe I, I, I accomplished. So my plan was I need to eat 250 calories an hour. I'm going to eat everything I feel like eating, everything that's palatable. I had all my kind of meals planned out. I was going to eat big at every aid station and going to try to eat a big dinner and a big breakfast. The big dinners didn't happen because every time I got to 50 miles, I was toast and stomach was bad. Um, but anyway, there are a couple key points in the race where my appetite came back to me, and that was amazing, where I just pounded food. Um, but the goal was keep stuff going in the tank, even if it's a Mentos, even if it's a fruit snack or one piece of watermelon. I just got to keep stuff going in. And the goal was 250 calories an hour. Um, the sleep sleep plan was very clear. It was, I want to run 50 miles, sleep five hours. 
I pretty much followed it. There were only three people in the race that I know of that had that strategy. All three of us followed it. All three of us finished. and All three of us, for the most part, had a great experience. I think most people go out, you know, till they're tired, like 80 miles, and sleep two hours, and then try to go another however long, and then sleep two hours. And I think that would have been a bad strategy for me. So I held to the five hours. I didn't sleep all five hours, but I stopped for five hours and tried to sleep. And that made the difference for me. It it helped. If I wouldn't have done that, I probably wouldn't have finished the race. Yeah. So can you take us through some key moments and even memories you made along during this race, both the good ones and the bad ones as the race unfolded? Four days is a long time <laughs> to be in a <laughs> For race. sure. It, it just so much happens. You know, I, I write my 100-mile race races I write up, and it takes a lot of times 50 pages for me to explain everything that happened to me. And the, the 200 was just unfathomable. There were just so many experiences, so many changes of thought and mood, and it was just incredible. But a couple of key moments. Um, I, I had trouble coming in at 47 miles. I started to get bad in my stomach. It started snowing, sleeting. It was cold. You know, it's June, <laughs> and I'm used to Alabama heat. Um, so that was crazy. But I started, my stomach started to turn on me, and it was not good. So I slept, got up, did better, and then 80 miles into the race, I started getting cold, started getting stomach. 90 miles got really bad, like the worst stomach problems I've had on a race. And that's really saying something because my stomach just locks up and I feel nauseous. I need to puke. Can't, can't feel like I can't keep moving. That happened to me from mile 90 to 102. So for 12 miles at 11 o'clock at night, in the dark, my hands are freezing. I'm wearing everything I own for cold weather gear. It's snowing in my head, um, snowing in my face, and I puked, and I was just absolutely miserable. I wanted to quit the race. I planned on quitting, and I wanted to quit like life. I was so miserable that that I had put so much into the race and it was going to be different. And now here I am in the same boat as with my hundreds. I've lost my stomach. I have 102 miles to go. I'll never make it. I'm a loser. It was terrible. I got to the aid station. My wife and son were there. They told me to shut up. They put me to sleep, put me in, laid me down in the van. I slept for five hours. I woke up. I just thought there's no way I can continue. They put my shoes on me. They gave me a bite of pancake, which I was able to stomach. They load me up with some other food and said, let's go. And I took one step on that trail with 102 miles to go in a race. After dead set on quitting the night before, I took the first step and said to myself, now I'm going to finish. That is so special. That is uh, an amazing story. Today's podcast is brought to you by Exact Health. Exact Health is a sports physical therapy app for the most common running injuries. The app simplifies access to professional and customized physical therapy without long waiting times and costs. Exact Health offers individualized plans that automatically adapt to your feedback, which is truly incredible. 
Over 15,000 runners have already healed their running injuries like Achilles tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, and so many other injuries with the Exact Health app. The plans on Exact Health are designed by world-class physical therapists with the intent in mind of helping you guys to get back on the ground running. And also, if you aren't uh, injured currently, they also have a state-of-the-art prevention plan for runners that really introduces you into strength and mobility, um, helps you to adopt good movement patterns, and is really a baseline for amazing strength training that will keep you strong and healthy and hopefully avoid these injuries. As of recording this, I've actually been dealing with some shin pain and I downloaded the Exact Health app and that has definitely helped with the pain and helped me understand the pain a little bit more and some of the exercises I can do to strengthen that area so that it will go away eventually. I highly recommend you all give out this app a try. It's truly incredible, a very easy to use platform and has some amazing resources for both you when you're injured, but also, as I just mentioned, to um, adopt good movement patterns and just stay strong in general. So you guys can visit the link in the show notes of any episode for a quick link to download the app or just go to your app store and search Exact Health, spelled E-X-A-K-T Health, in your app store and download the app today to try it out and hopefully feel better. Asking you uh, maybe a bit personally, do you think you would have quit if your family wasn't there with you, um, pushing you forward? So I got some really good advice from Justin, my friend Justin and others um, that really helped me for my hundreds. It was, um, you know, I have a couple friends who their, their strategy is, I'm going to finish or get pulled. In other words, you know, if if you don't make the cutoff at a certain aid station, they pull you. Or if you're puking violently and can't, you know, whatever. If you're, if they think your uh, your health is at risk, then they're going to pull you. So finish or get pulled is very important for a 200. Another piece of advice I got that was very helpful is sleep before you quit. <laughs> so I was very determined to quit. But I had that little inkling in my mind, okay, I, I can't quit because I, I promised myself I wouldn't, but I'm going to time out. In other words, I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to wait until the cutoff. If the cutoff comes and it's 10 o'clock a.m. at 9.55, if I feel at all like I can do it, I'll take another step. But if I don't, I'm out. So I had those two things going for me. So I, I would have still delayed it. But I think if they hadn't done what they'd done, I might have let time run out at that aid station. So how did you mentally will yourself forward when it got hard in moments like those that you experienced when you were having immense stomach pain or other things that crept up along the way? I really failed that test in those last 12 miles going into that aid station. There was a lot more climbs and the course was ridiculous. It kept turning in weird ways and I was really frustrated so I, I didn't really overcome that. I didn't, I didn't win that battle. I call it going underwater in a race when you go negative. So I was definitely underwater. And I, the only thing that kept me there was I've got to at least make it to the aid station. I'm going to see my family. And then those two thoughts of that, that feeling of, and, and this is where I apply it to life, right? You couldn't have convinced me at that moment that I was going to feel better the next day. But I still kind of have to believe there's hope that tomorrow could be better. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. 
when, yeah. you, when you have that crisis in life and that you you see it when it's a dark night in your life emotionally you just can't see a way out you can't believe that there's going to be sunshine tomorrow and somehow there is so you just even though you can't see it you have to just think okay somehow the sun's going to rise tomorrow and so then that next day when the sun did rise and i felt reasonably okay then I just came alive for the rest of the race for 102 miles. The second 102 miles, I felt fantastic. And I crescendoed from 102 to 204 miles. I felt better, incrementally better through that whole two days and more and more physically strong and more and more emotionally charged and happy and excited. Yeah, what do you think allowed you to have a better second 100 than first 100? Because I'm sure most people's experiences are the complete opposite of that. So the slow pace, the sleep, sleep. I, I just, I've, I've always appreciated the fact that I can wake up and start a new day, right? It's a new day. But I just had no idea the power of the, the regenerative regeneration that can come from sleep from physical exertion, it is miraculous. Like that, five hours of sleep, I slept solid. And I was, I, I said in my video, running down the trail 20 miles later, I said, I died last night and I've been born again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the difference. I really believe it was the sleep, being able to stay clear-headed and re- generate my stomach and my muscles it, it just made the race for me and then it was like uh um it was like a cycle of one thing leads to another so my positive trajectory just kept increasing i felt better i ate better i slept better i ran better i felt stronger i felt happier so i felt stronger so <laughs> it, it just it was miraculous and i and i was so amazed by it and and thought what if i had quit last night you know what if i had dropped what if i didn't know to sleep before you quit what if my wife hadn't helped me and not just the tragedy of having failed the race but look what i would have missed my friend justin follows another ultra runner and her mantra is don't quit before the miracle and what a lesson for life right yeah don't don't give up because you don't want to miss the second half and you don't know what what's out there for you and what what joys and and triumphs are are waiting for you if you can just make it through tonight so what would you say are the biggest keys to finishing a race like this particularly when you have to go through so many struggles along the way um so i think you have to have that attitude i'm going to finish or get cold I think you have to go, you have to understand that this is a mountain adventure and you're going to go very slow and easy and save energy. You're not trying to push. You can run the downhills when you feel like it, but you, you just need to take it easy and you have to be in the moment. You can't think I have 146 miles left where your, your brain can't deal with that. You have to think I'm here right now on this trail, seeing that beautiful lake and I'm going to enjoy the moment. You, you really have to have that perspective. You know, a 100-miler, a 50-miler, you can kind of lunge for the finish and you can grind it out. 
you can't grind out 147 miles. <laughs> you can't grind out, oh, let me just grind out this next three days. You have to just relax, be in the moment, eat, and sleep. Whatever your sleep strategy is, you got to do it. And you need, you need that regeneration of, of calories and nutrition, and you need the sleep so that you're not hallucinating and miserable and that your muscles reset. So what were your emotions when you see the finish line, you run across the finish line, what was going through your head and what was the feeling like of crossing the finish line? Was it an emotional one or were you just purely exhausted from the previous four days? Or, uh, you know, I, I guess the question continues, um, were you, was like the celebration over the ensuing or over the previous days of, you know, that's where you um, enjoyed yourself the most and, and there wasn't too much emotion when you crossed the finish line? I wouldn't say it's anticlimactic, but I will say that at, at, at when I, you know, at 102 miles left when I said, now I'm going to finish, that feeling only got stronger. And at, at 100 and, uh, you know, with 82 miles left, I said, I only have 82 miles to go. I was giddy with 150 miles. I turned to my wife and said, I only have 50 miles to go and I'm going to enjoy it. This is going to be the best 50 miles of my life. And it turned out to be true with 30 miles to go. I was just euphoric. I said, I'm going to finish this race. I just got more and more confident and finishing the race didn't even matter because I was having such an incredible experience. But then coming down to the finish, I'm on top of this mountain. I've just, you know, the last 10 miles, it's 11 o'clock at night. I go up a mountain, uh, you know, five miles of climbing this mountain. The wind's blowing. It's cold. There's rocks and ice and climbing over dead trees. <laughs> it was just amazing. And I was just smiling, laughing. I passed 10 people. You know, it doesn't matter what place you come in and everything. But I was like going fast for the last 10 miles. I passed 10 people in the 10, last 10 miles. And that last five miles was running back down into that same finish line. And with about two miles to go, I could kind of see and hear what was going on. I could kind of see the lights of the resort. And I had a tinge of regret, sadness of just, I can't believe this is going to end. I want it, I want it to keep going. And I've, ne I've never, ever had that feeling in any other ultra. I've been just like, get to the biggest finish line. I want to die. And this, because I had overcome and had to get in the zone, I seriously, and I talked to several other people who'd finished the race, and they said the same thing. I could have gone another 50 miles. I wanted to. Yeah, that's in unbelievable. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, and I'm sure like a, a very foreign feeling to most people listening because you hear this guy runs 200 miles and he's saying he wants to run another 50 like what what's going on so i hope to experience that feeling one day maybe when i run 200 miles and i'll call you up and say i know exactly what you were talking about so that's special would you say i, the I ran i ran through the finish through the banner and if the the tables were set up weird i had to turn left but i turned left and kept running into the parking lot <laughs> just to be funny <laughs> and I was going to run to the lake because the lake was, but the lake was across the street, but I felt so good. My legs felt so strong and I was so happy and I had already regenerated from the sleep and, and I just ate, eaten a veggie burger and I just felt great. 
and I, I really could have kept going. It was really, I felt like, I felt like superhuman, like I'd been given some kind of, um, you know, superpower for four days, just like it was really bizarre and wonderful. Yeah. So would you say those four days out on the lake were some of the most special days of your life, despite such adversity throughout the way? Oh, yeah. It was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had and very different than my other 50s and 100 milers. I learned a lot from my 100 milers and I love that those experiences. This was completely different. And I tell people it feels like it felt like I went away for six months and was at some find yourself retreat where you do physical tasks that are tough or somebody drips water on your forehead for 10 days or <laughs> I don't know, just some kind of find yourself, you know, push yourself down to the very bot rock bottom and then lift you up. And it just, it, it really changed my life. It was a life changing experience. Yeah. What were the biggest things you learned about yourself throughout those four days? So you kind of have to read the story because it's hard for it to make sense, but I'll try to explain it. On day four, I, I always have epiphanies when I run, right? Just my little personal revelations for my life. Um, on day four, I just had this epiphany upon epiphany upon epiphany. The morning of day four, I had 50 miles to go. I felt great. And I started realizing that, man, I made it. Like I've been pursuing this kind of who knows what for 15 years running ultra marathons, kind of seeking something. And I felt like, I just found it. Like I've arrived. Like this is the most incredible experience I could ever hope for. That's a physical, emotional, spiritual experience. Like it's tangible. And then built upon that, I had the experience of feeling like, you know what? I, this is a treasure. This is a treasure that I'll have for the rest of my life. It's not a physical treasure, but it's more like a heavenly treasure. And it's more valuable than anything, just having this experience. So I was like, okay, now I got to tuck that in my heart, keep it with me forever. And then I added on to then, then another thought came that was, you know what? I, that's who I am. I am a treasure hunter and all my life I look for uh, a cool sunset or a great experience. And I try to try to focus on those things instead of the negatives. I try to help other people see those little treasures in life. And they're not things, they're relationships, they're experiences. And I just had this um, kind of this epiphany that, you know, that's kind of one of my gifts in life and I'm going to embrace it. Like I'm going to, in my mind, <laughs> nobody, nobody else is going to call me treasure hunter from now on. <laughs> but I just, I just felt like that's what I want. Part of my identity, part of my purpose in life, I want to focus on that and enhance it and, and nurture it and be a treasure hunter and never let go of that kind of seven-year-old curiosity. Wow, I found a cool rock. I know that sounds crazy. Even when it was happening to me, I felt like, man, this is just like some kind of drug-induced <laughs> psychosis, but it's not. It's real, and it it helps me understand who I am, and it, it was just worth a million dollars. Yeah, that's awesome. 
That's so cool to hear about. And uh, yeah, I'm so glad you got to experience those things and learn new things about yourself throughout this process. A few final questions talking about some of the lessons you've learned. The first question I have for you is, can you describe the whole Tahoe trip in one word or in a sentence? Life-changing would be the, the, the word. And uh, in a sentence... I'll tell you the sentence I uttered when I finished this, when I finished the race and came back from the parking lot and grabbed my buckle. I said, I never, ever would have believed this was possible if I didn't do it. Uh, and so that that's my sentence. But one thing I've got to add to the treasure ending thing is there were these red flowers through the whole course, about every 10 miles that were just bright red, just incredible flowers had never seen them before. They're called snowflowers. And every time I saw one, it just encouraged me and, and pushed me forward. And that became a symbol to me of kind of those treasure, treasure hunting, the treasures of life gives you these little things. And it might only be every eight miles, 10 miles, 12 miles, but we got to keep our eyes open. And when we see them, it's, you, you got to appreciate it. And then it, it kind of, uh, surges you forward to the next one. Mm -hmm. You've talked about this uh, a bit throughout this episode and, and dropped little tidbits throughout the episode uh, in relation to this question, but diving deeper into it, how do you think a 200-mile race correlates to life? Say that again. How does it what? How do you think a 200-mile race correlates to life? Like, uh, What do you think are the biggest similarities between a 200-mile race and life in general? Um. So you, you can't, you, you, you want to have the big picture, but you can't get overwhelmed by the big picture. You can't think I have 140 miles to go. I'm only 16. I have a whole life to live. I have, all, I'm going to have all these challenges. You have to live in the moment. You have to appreciate right now where you're at on the trail, whatever the elevation is, whatever the next climb that's coming, wherever the next aid station is, you have to just live in the moment and be there. The other correlation for life, I think, that is strong is uh, it, it, it may be tempting for some people to want to DNF in life, right? I wish I was dead. I don't deserve to be here. Um, and, and people even go through with that. They commit suicide, which is a huge tragedy. It just hurts my heart. And I think if you could know the future and believe in that sunshine tomorrow, then you'll have, you'll, you'll be able to endure that trial. And so you just, you, you got to have hope. So a large portion of our audience is a younger audience, high school or college. So what would be your biggest significant piece of advice for those listening who are in that younger demographic? I would say, uh, live your passion. You know, you might never run long distance. You might not like it. You might not want to do it. And I'm not, I, I think, I think you would enjoy it. So try it, <laughs> but but whatever, you know, you might be a sprinter and that's your thing, but just in, have joy in your running experiences. If you're training for two months and you're grinding it out and you're angry and it's hurt, you know, making you mad, then that's wrong. Just you've got to find joy in the experience, push the limits, stretch yourself, be excited and um, just make sure that you are 
finding joy in the sport, in your training, in your competitiveness, in your races, and don't be, don't limit yourself. Don't think I can never do that. I can never run this certain time. You know, I'll never run under a three-hour marathon. Don't believe that. All things are possible. So, of course, you accomplished this absolutely incredible um, event in life. Uh, running 200 miles is quite the incredible thing that very few people will ever get to experience. But kind of looking towards the future, I'm curious to hear what is next for you. And in addition to that, what excites you most about the sport of running in general or your own running in general? This experience really changed my perspective before I was always trying to do the next race and looking at the next one, you know, the next challenge. This, this experience at Tahoe was so fulfilling for me. I'll, I'll tell you, I texted my friends when I got a little reception on day three. Uh, day four, I texted them, I have found the purpose of my life and it has nothing to do with running. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it, it just, I, I had that epiphany and it just, it kind of didn't matter. It's like, I've reached this goal. If I run another step or another race, it's great, but I don't have to. I don't feel that drive anymore. I want to. I want to do another 200. I want to do a lot of them because it was so amazing. Um, But I'm just okay with enjoying every running experience that I have. In other words, if I run three miles with my kids tomorrow or I do a 5K this weekend or if I do a 50-miler in December – um, it's okay. That's not a very good answer. I don't have one thing that I'm driving to. I would, I would like to do Bigfoot. Bigfoot's really exciting. (laughs) You're just taking uh, things one step at a time and enjoying the present moment. That's what it sounds like. And, uh, yeah, that's definitely a a phenomenal thing to, to do because the best moment is the present moment. And it sounds like you're, uh, focusing on the little joys in life and running. And exactly. And I'll, and I'll do another race and I, I look forward to it, but I'm not just like dying for it and driving towards it for sure. Because I'm, I'm just like riding high. Like the Tahoe experience is not wearing off. It just makes me feel great about running. And it was kind of like, so enough, like it filled me that I don't have like this, this, um, you know, yearning to find this other race. It's just, if I can do another one, great. If I can't, Hey, I did the big one and it was incredible and I loved it. Yeah. So one final question before we get into some fun ones to top off the episode. Um, As I mentioned previously, you had this write up on uh, the Tahoe 200, which I will leave a link to in the show notes for those interested in reading a more in-depth version of your story. Kind of a, a good way to branch off this podcast if they're interested sounds like you've done that for previous races before. So I got to ask, are you planning on writing a book or is that something you'd ever be interested in doing, talking about some of the things we have today, the lessons you've learned and the amazing experiences along the way? Because it sounds like there could be a book in the making. So is that something you're interested in doing? Absolutely. Yeah, I've been writing this book for 15 years. I just I really need to wrestle it down. I was kind of waiting for a good conclusion race to kind of top it off. And uh, I've had it, and so I'm ready to put it together. Um, And really what I've done is taken each one of my race stories and then put a chapter in between each race that's just a one-page summary of my life, just biography, just kind of, you know, that I moved or took this other job or had, you know, we had a baby, you know, whatever. And then then it's race story. So it's it's really an autobiography, but it's, it's, um, I call it running for the metaphor, 
because that's, you know, that's why I do it just to have these, um, kind of epiphanies and, and, and these, these experiences greatly benefit my life, like, like to an incredible degree. So it's really just for me, but I want to share them. And so I've kind of got the book. Now I need to really put it together and, you know, get some help to edit it down and, and put it out there. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to read it one day and, and see the amazing the work you put into it and uh, read all about it one day. To top off this already amazing conversation, uh, let's go through the rapid fire questions, also known as the going to the well segment. Just five quick fun questions to top off the episode on a fun light note. So Brandon, are you ready for these five questions? Let's do it. Okay. Number one, favorite piece of running gear or technology? I really, really love my running vest. It's a Solomon skin, and it's uh, flexible and holds the right amount of water, and I love it to death. My second question is, what book has had an impact on your life? Um, I would say uh, Thoreau. Uh, Walden has, has a lot of books I'm passionate about, but that one about the, the, the key phrases in that book of seizing the moment and, um, squishing our feet down through the mud and slush of opinion and prejudice and finding reality rocks on the bottom. Love it. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out because I've never heard of it before. So I look forward to reading that after uh, this interview uh, in the coming months. My third question for you is if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Baked potato bar. There you go. That's a great answer. Uh, my fourth question. And, and it, has to, it has to have all the options. Yeah, all the fixings. All the fixings. Deluxe baked potato bar. There you yeah. go. Fourth question is, if you were on a deserted island and you could only bring three things, what would they be? Uh, I'm just going to go crazy, even though these are not helpful on the island. These are items that are, are personal to me. Uh, I'm going to take my hammer, who I named Daniel. I'm going to take uh, my soccer ball and my journal. There you go. That's awesome. Last but not least, fifth question. Amazing interview already, but uh, the interview wouldn't be an interview without me asking this question because I ask every single guest this question. Last but not least, if you had Gordon Ramsay coming over for dinner, what would you choose to make for him? Big potato. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. It uh, pleases everybody because you got all the options and potatoes are so good. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Brandon, this conversation has been a very fun, impactful, and meaningful one for me. I really appreciate you being generous with your time and being very thoughtful and insightful and sharing so much wisdom uh, of your story personally and then also this incredible race. Um, It was awesome to hear about, and I hope every single person listening to this can take something away from it because I personally did. So I can't wait to see what the future holds for you. And you always have a place back on the Running Effect podcast. Can't wait to see that book come out one day. And uh, yeah, see all the amazing things you accomplish in the future. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for the opportunity. I really enjoyed talking about this. And and, uh, I I almost feel uncomfortable because it feels like bragging, but it really isn't 
to me, it's just sharing like this amazing experience. Like I, I it's like going up to people saying, I've been on the moon. You sh- it's just so incredible. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Running Effect. If you enjoyed it as much as I did, you can like, subscribe, share the show with a friend or two, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and even share it on social media if you enjoyed it that much. That way, we can hopefully reach new listeners and inspire them in the process. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Exact Health and Gooder, two incredible brands. I highly suggest scrolling down in the show notes and checking both of them out. Until next episode, guys, I hope your training and running is going well, and I will catch you all then.